Welcome to the latest Placetech podcast. I'm Paul Unger, editor of Placetech. Today, I'm joined by Matt Roach, founder of Rebellion. Hi, Matt. Hi, you, Paul. So with, with COP26 still running in, in Glasgow, it's a, a good time to be talking about what people in, in property can be doing uh, to cut their carbon emissions uh, and uh, help help us meet our targets. Um, so this is obviously something that uh, you're very passionate about and, and, and interested in at, at Rebellion. Um, but let's start by um, talking a little bit about your story and um, how you came to, to set up the business. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been um, in and around construction for probably the last 20 years. I've been very fortunate to work for some um, fantastic businesses that's enabled me to travel around the world, work on some exceptionally exciting schemes um, and, and have enjoyed it all the way through. I think um, like many during the pandemic, I um, reflected around you know decisions in lifetime with family and, and lots of other things. And I came to the conclusion there was uh, two things I wanted to do. One was to um, step down from kind of corporate life to be kind of fully busy in a, in a corporate role. Um, and I wanted to set up a small business that was focused around sustainability in the built environment and also to establish a charity as well and to spend my time across those two things. So really, as being part of the corporates and working on those exciting programs, which is fantastic, the challenge is that you don't really have time to step back and think. So by stepping away from it, it enabled me to still be involved in the industry, but to actually think about how we're going to solve some of the things, because a lot of the a lot of the things that are on the agenda, they're, they're absolutely not new. They're things we've tackled for a long period of time now. Um, and, and everyone is simply too busy with the rate of growth of the world and all the things that are happening. There's no time to actually think and, and actually get to the solutions of what we wanted to need to do. So for me, it was about stepping back and actually probably firstly educating myself. I felt quite uneducated about a lot of the subjects, although I'd been responsible for certain elements. Um, so I wanted to take time to learn and understand what the implications of what was happening really was, and then to create something that could actually respond to it. Yeah, yeah. So so um, where were you working before then when you say corporates? So most recently worked for ISG for a number of years. ISG is one of the leading construction companies and still continue to to work with them. Um, and, and they are very much like-minded around trying to change these spaces. And then from that, worked with an organization called Yonder. So went to the development side and they were developing digital infrastructure around the globe as well. So still still work with the businesses and um, both of them are, are like-minded around looking at these solutions as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, were, you were traveling a lot and... Uh... An international role, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, which was which was fantastic. So getting to getting to travel around the world is um, is is awesome. So got to meet lots of different cultures, new people, learn different ways of working. But again, that mode of being too busy to actually address any of the things that we wanted to get to as well. Certainly, personally, I was just always on a plane, and certainly that time in the pandemic, reflecting, spending time at home. It was the longest time I'd actually been at home. The longest time that I'd got to spend consecutively with my son. Um, and it really made me think about, like everyone, I think, what was what was important in the moment, and what was important in the moment was was spending more time with the family and being a bit more present. Yeah, yeah, here, here. Um, so, so, what do you do at uh, Rebellion? Fundamentally, as we start out, and this is this has kind of been year one for us. Um, really, it's been about educating ourselves and then trying to pioneer some of the kind of R and D around it. So, as I said, although in the sector, I've been involved with lots of schemes and lots of sort of future looking, et cetera. 
never really had time to deeply educate myself around what what it is we're actually going to change so a lot of the things we look at are how we can apply new technology new ways of working um understanding a lot of the advice that's out there now as well certainly with the release of the ipcc report and there's more information than there's ever been so a lot of it's been actually reflecting on that information and and then trying to translate that into kind of r d for our clients and kind of project management of initiatives to how we actually apply that back to the construction industry and that's got everything from um, energy solutions through to kind of material selection to modern methods of construction but really trying to put ourselves in a place where we're talking to not just established businesses but but some of the startups that are coming out now as well because i think there's a, an immense amount of innovation coming out of startup organizations around how we can think about these things differently and actually non-profits one of the big opportunities i think there is is actually to collaborate not just with kind of um the education principles of of, of where the research is being done but actually some of these non-profits are, are really really clever in what they're actually trying to target and do so we're we're trying to bridge the gap between academia um you know more traditional kind of corporations and then some of these pioneering non-profits and startups as well and bring that together that's interesting yeah yeah and do, do you see yourself as a as a consultant then as an advisor to, to construction how would you describe yourselves De definitely an advisor i think um we, we want to sit in that space i think where we where we probably differ just from the consultancy element is being very involved in the implementation as well so we enjoy we enjoy the research we enjoy the advisory element but actually putting it into practice actually embedding it into organizations and helping manage that change through and how you apply it into those practical projects is probably where we where we fit best as well yeah and, and, and tell us about the the charity that you've established so we've established a charity called rise futures which um has, has absolutely been the passion part of what we do and part of setting up the business was really to enable enable us to have time to work on the charity it works with um students that are lacked which is uh, looked after in care that have no access to education employment or training that are neat as well so i think the the latest statistics are around about 0.6 percent of young people which is about 30,000 students that are within the care system in the uk that don't have access to education so it's a very it's a very small number in in comparison to some of the bigger broad aims of charities dealing with sort of low income and um, areas of poverty etc but because it's so focused it means we can work with a lot less students to try and have a much greater impact on that smaller medium um, and particularly things were tough prior to the pandemic but um you know post pandemic and particularly within the care system being confined to spaces etc it's it's only exaggerated all of the issues that come along with that particularly mental health as well so we spend a lot of time um, mentoring, working with local authorities to try and um, provide support for those young people. Yeah, oh, that sounds sounds like amazing work and, and badly needed. Um, so in, in terms of who you're working with, what you're doing, some of the projects, are there, are there good examples that you can, you can give us? And, and then we can talk about uh, what people can do, those people that are listening and how they can maybe take some of the the learnings that, that you found and, and put them into their own projects yeah definitely so I think there's some there's some things we're doing to educate ourselves and I'd say the first advice for anyone is start with education understand what it is we're actually trying to solve understand the advice that's being given and and what problems that presents to your business and and how you can actually start responding in a positive fashion so how we can use business as a, as a force for good to start responding to some of these issues so education for 
starting from the top down, the, the board directors, the agendas they need to follow, the direction of the business needs to travel, and then educating your people in that space is, is fundamental for me. Um, I think then it's about partnership. So certainly we've just um, partnered with the UK Green Building Council. They've got um, an immense amount of very good advice as kind of a, a non-profit trying to lead a, a real change within the construction sector. Their focus is around climate change um, resources, which is about circular economy and reuse. It's about um, nature and biodiversity, health and well-being, and um, social economic impact. So all of those factors um, form kind of like this latest um, charge around ESG, which has kind of replaced this previous um, corporate social responsibility. It's become a much broader awareness now of environmental social governance and how we become effective businesses. So I think education partnerships are fundamental to it because there are solutions. I think that's the key thing to to talk about in all of this. With all of the doom and gloom that's out there, there is a real need to respond quickly and urgently. Um, but we're not starting from scratch. There are there are many things available and advice that exists out in the market already. So once we look at those partnerships, I then think it's about collaboration and, and having open access to data so that we can actually start to share these solutions. Um, I don't think any any one business should benefit or any one particular sector if there's if there's valuable lessons that can be learned and we can transfer things that have direct impact on any one of those areas, climate change, socioeconomics, biodiversity. We should look at how we open source that information and start to share it in a in a more free fashion so that we can yeah. start to make broader change as well. And and specifically, are there examples that people might be able to relate to of the sort of information that you would like to be open sourcing and sharing with the market? I think around performance, that's probably the biggest thing, particularly when it comes to construction as well. So as we start to look at um, different elements of design, if we use different materials or we use different design principles, how that directly affects the performance of the, the built environment. And we start to share that so we can start to learn from it. I think certainly we then broaden that to material selection and we can start to share information around how materials are performed over life cycles. Because um, we've got two elements really we need to look at. We've got embodied carbon, which is the construction process, i.e. everything that goes into it, materials, the methods, and then we've got the operational carbon element as well. So from the embodied carbon, and there's many things we can start to capture. There's talks of things like material passports. So how do we um, ascertain the properties of that material over life cycle, start to create databases of that and the information? We could then actually use that for reuse elements. So as a, a, a material or a asset comes to the end of its life cycle, we've got these databases of information that enables us to reuse them rather than kind of traditional demolition or waste management. We can actually put things back into circulation. So capturing data around those things is going to be really important. And then for the operational carbon perspective, as technology starts to advance, we can see how it's changing the performance of our buildings, whether that be around energy usage, whether that be around efficiency, particularly HVAC systems, et cetera, are going to be very, very important. Because I think as we can see, what probably the scary thing from all the reports coming out is that this is not something we can prevent anymore. There is a level of change that's already baked in. You know, certainly the IPCC report um, points to that already, which means we're going to need to adapt our buildings. So we're going to have to live with what we've done. And, and we need to adapt quickly to ensure that the built environment can support that. And then we prevent any future damage to it as well. So I think yeah. those would be some of the key things around it. And then, you know, there's real, <clears throat> as we look at kind of material choices, methods, construction methods, and reducing embodied carbon, that um, 
kind of operational carbon reduction, how we make systems more efficient, how we can apply technology in the right fashion to it, the circular principles of ensuring we reuse what we've got. And then certainly around energy itself, you know, there's huge advances now. And certainly from, um, if you look at a country by country level, the the percentage of renewables versus fossil is starting to shift. It needs to shift at a much greater rate, but all of those technologies are now available and they're starting to become available on kind of mass scale as well. So the type of energy we use um, will pay a significant part in all of this as well. Yeah, and, and when I was reading up before our chat today, um, you, you do a lot of work in digital infrastructure, so data centers, which are very hungry when it comes to power and the, the, the energy supply there is, is really critical. Um, and that you know they get very hot. You've got to to manage all that. They're, they're particular environments, aren't they? Yeah. Are there th- are there things that you're advising in that that project sphere that people can do to to mitigate their impact? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think again, it's 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 collaborating with the design partners, etc., around it as well. But certainly, um, when we look at the embodied carbon, it's the it's the how and what we construct, and. I think there was um, there was a quote from a, a lady, I actually can't remember her name now, but it was quite a famous quote, which said the the, the most um, efficient data center is one that doesn't need to be built, which is a really good example of actually, we can remove a, a ton of embodied carbon by actually looking at assets that exist today that we could repurpose for that, rather than continuously constructing on this kind of like greenfield basis. How do we utilize, whether it be different sectors as well, you know, as the economy changes, if we've got assets that become stranded that don't fulfill a purpose anymore, could we use those so we actually we can remove a lot of that embodied carbon up front by using you know, the built environment stock that exists today so that's one of the first priorities of don't just build new look at what actually exists out there we could repurpose then we start looking at the um the material selection around how we use it and also the spatial layout as well so how do we actually reduce the footprint of what's needed so like everything over design is a is a problem in everything in life so trying to make sure that because essentially, you know, it's housing servers <clears throat> and it's got a small proportion of people, the people space needs to manage health and well-being, but predominantly we need to reduce everything else down to its core, you know, it's down to its basic elements. So we'll look to reduce the actual size of the facilities, et cetera. And then it's about the technology we apply to it to make it as efficient as possible. Um, and there's, depending on kind of ambient temperatures, et cetera, it's like the placement of these facilities. So, you know, if, we've, if we're going to, a climate that's um, inherently cooler, et cetera, could we use um, direct air cooling rather than actually putting chiller plant on and chill water and using you know resources that ideally we want to keep within communities. So we, we would do everything to reduce the impacts and the resources that it uses as our first port. And then certainly as you're looking at the inoperational status, the actual energy sources we're using as well. And there's lots of very interesting stuff coming to bay now about how do we you know, reduce the use of things like generators, et cetera. <clears throat> so although they're being used for kind of um, service level agreements, could we use battery technology instead, you know, mimicking some of what's being done with the EV technology. So there's mm-hmm. lots of opportunities to to change that space. And there's lots of things that exist now to become more efficient. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, that you said earlier on, um, I liked about uh, partnering with some of these smaller nonprofit organizations that, um, it touches on the age-old problem, if you will, of procurement. That, you, that construction and um, design and build and certain ways of doing development um, dictate a certain process and the supply chain 
um, and there are certain orthodox sort of conventional ways of of doing that. Um, and and often you end up with some of the same faces there, the project managers, the big surveyors, the QSs, those sorts of things, because they, they know that world and, and um, how it operates and they have the liabilities and the, the scale financially that is required to get through tender framework applications, et cetera. And, and maybe a small, interesting nonprofit that is solving a particular thing might not have the X number of years of accounts and so many million turnover and that sort of thing to get in into that. Is that something that you're exploring to try and find a way of bringing the, the, the new techie brains into that old established sort of traditional way of, of doing things to try and plug that that intelligence in is that doable I, I think it's absolutely doable and i think there's a there's a number of things that i think government is is pushing policy trying to look at how how they increase their frameworks and how those frameworks are distributed particularly with some of the sme companies so there there's always more that can be done but they're pushing the boundaries of of trying to introduce more people i think a lot of clients now um under this kind of broad range of this esg agenda they, they have a real need to demonstrate that they are um, they've got the appropriate social governance in place to be good businesses now and use their spend as a force for good um, for the climate and also for the social impact side of it as well and you know so diversity and inclusion has been around for, for a long time but I think it's it's finally really gaining its place particularly construction is a slow industry to move and certainly for some of the broad partners that we've worked with we're seeing real a real push now to actually be you know, good companies that, that are actually trying to um, employ from multiple sources. And a lot of that's come from, um, A, the realisation that it's the right thing to do, but B, there's a huge talent shortage. Um, and, and actually, there's a short-term version of how do we how do we increase diversity and inclusion within the supply chain? But there's a much longer-term problem of, fundamentally, we need to change perception of construction in education. Because if we want to, you know, take gender parity as an example, there's only a certain amount of female engineers that are coming through the education system at the moment. So we've got to do more to actually make it more accessible from a younger age that it's actually an attractive industry to come and working. And that, that works across all elements of diversity and inclusion. Um, but there's a much broader challenge we need to get to there. And that's something we can absolutely address as a, as a, as a broader scene, particularly for us with the charity as well. Um, we're taking, you know, young people that, although they've had no access to education, employment and training, and providing opportunity in workplace and where they've really excelled is things around like social value so planning social value engaging with local authorities and talking about as a young person particularly as a young person that's been within the care system what they want to see change within that community and i actually think that's one of the most powerful opportunities of construction as we as we work with local authorities and we look to develop the built environment which we all use on a daily basis through whatever it be work through social and we've got a direct ability to affect that by whatever we construct or whatever we retrofit or how we adapt that local environment and by working with local authorities on that social value element. So I think there's a huge opportunity to um, to bring more parties into it. And I think there should be more collaboration. I do agree that some of the traditional supply chain ways are you, you only know what you know. Some people need their eyes opening up. And I think that element of kind of open source information, open source partnerships and people being more transparent about working with smaller companies can only be a good thing yeah are, are there examples of companies that excite you on the smaller 
side that um, that you're either working with or you'd like to work with uh, that that fit that that description? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's there, there's a few things. So from a um, from a company perspective, certainly we've worked recently with a company called um, Akalov, which are uh, a kind of modern methods of construction um, consultant. They've been they're aligned to us from a value perspective and, and done lots of good things, which has been excellent. There's a company called um, Dark Matter Labs, um, which was um, one of the founding directors was a gentleman called Indy Yoha, and I'd seen him on a few TED talks talking about what he calls the uh, the boring revolution, but looking at some real base principles of land ownership and and how we construct in a sustainable fashion, how we look at kind of climate breakdown in a systems perspective we've not done anything with them but um i think they're a fascinating company and then you've obviously got academia alongside that as well so you know Akalof is a private company um dark matter labs is more of a social enterprise and then you've got academia on top of that there's so much opportunity to work with these people and, and they've got some fantastic solutions it's it's about it's about driving adoption and raising awareness now but i think more people should talk about other businesses and be less um less concerned about their own kind of central capability and their own work within you know there, there should be enough for everyone there should be enough for everyone to go around and, and create a balance of fairness so that we get to the right results and and do you really think that that the client side the developers that are at the top of the tree at the top of the, the pyramid the food chain driving these decisions that they they are starting to think differently and, and are open to to bringing new people and new ideas into projects I, th I think so. So, but by human nature, mo most people you meet have not got bad intentions. And if, if you were to inform someone that they were having a negative impact on something, they would largely, most human beings would turn around and say, well, that's not what we intend to do. We want to do something different. I go back to, I think the problem is education. People aren't necessarily aware of the implications of their actions. And it's part of the, how do we educate people on a broader nature and inform them of what they can do? I think with a lot of the, particularly around, um, climate change. I think people are scared. I think people are scared of the subject and it needs more open, honest conversation and more, more conversation around failure, what we're doing wrong. And for people to feel comfortable about saying we're overwhelmed, we don't know what to do, or, or we're not making enough progress. And for us to then open source that and see how we can, you know, start to solve that on a broader aspect as well. I think too many people feel the need to project that they're performing past where they actually are. Um, through this mm -hmm. this kind of fear factor of you know if we're going to continue to work with clients if we're going to continue to grow our business we need to say we're really competent in this space and I think certainly I feel comfortable saying that I feel more un uneducated a year down the line the more I learn um, and the more exposure I get the more uneducated I actually feel about it and the, the more I recognize there's lots more to be done um, there's lots more we need to learn lots more we need to experiment with lots more we need to try and fail against so that we can actually start to have a real impact yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but the, the more that I read and, and watch documentaries like the, the Breaking Boundaries one, the new David Attenborough one with the, yep. the Swedish academic about the science of, of the climate crisis um, or the Seaspiracy uh, documentary, yep. um, that the more you f really feel the urgency, uh, it, it's not just about winning the argument or being knowledgeable. It really no. makes you think, gosh, we need to get on with this. Look, this is happening now to the planet. Um, it's not in the future or some theoretical thing. Um, and it's about arresting the, the decline, if you like, in, in biodiversity and, and what's happening with temperature and, and climate change. Um, and 
you know, we, we, I, I certainly think we need to be bold and jump ahead now and not just be about net zero pledges and roadmaps and all of those things is, is fine words, but we need to show, show the action um, and get on with it, really. Uh, 100%. And one thing I think about all of that is that the information needs to be accessible for everyone across every demographic. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, I've, I've forced myself into this space and forced myself to become more educated. And, and the more I read, even the more I need to educate myself more to understand what I'm reading. Um, but not everyone's got all of that time available to them. So making that information accessible all the way, you know, back to education again, how do we how do we ensure our, our, our children are appropriately briefed and they understand? And then how do we bring that through school, through the workplace? Um, and make the information accessible because all of these i think we've got the greatest level of awareness we've ever had that there is a significant problem that is no longer a future problem it's a now problem you know we have to adapt we have to change we need action i totally agree and then it's again that that fear factor of if it's if it's just an academic explanation of it and you have to have a certain level of understanding to be able to react to it it's not going to be good enough we need we need the science we need the information which is totally important but it needs to be accessible to everyone as well. So how we communicate it, um, I think, could improve as well. And we could make it accessible yeah. to more people. Because, again, I don't, I don't think that people are fundamentally bad. I think it's a, it's a lack of access to information to act on. And for the people that do understand it and, and you know, can react instantly, that's fantastic. And, and I implore it. But we need to make sure it's, it has the ability for everyone. You know, particularly, again, I go back to the charity and working with... Um, the, the young people we do in the care system, et cetera, they just wouldn't have knowledge or have been exposed to some of these things. And that's not their fault. That's a, that's a failure in education. That's a failure in society. So if we want them to be part of the change, we have to help find opportunity, bring them into the system and help provide education as well. And I think that, that applies to all of society. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The information has to be presented um, on a daily basis and, and be front and center, really, not just be this subject over there. It needs to be right through everything that we're doing. Yeah, with um, clear steps of what we can do from every level, because everything helps. You know, there's certainly the broad based action required around, you know, how do we transition from fossil fuels? Yes, absolutely. But then if you're, you know, if you're a parent at home, if you're a young, vulnerable person, what steps can you take as individuals as well? And it needs that spectrum of attention where an individual can work out what they can do better in their daily life and understand it. Corporations understand their obligations and how they can change their business to ensure that they're no longer contributing to those things. And, you know, that real spectrum of, of action, it can't just be one or the other. It's we've got to communicate the whole element. Yeah. And, and getting back to the business of property and, and construction, does change have to come at a cost premium what, I mean, affordability, viability must come up in conversations that you have across the table with uh, people that are leading on projects. Yes. So I think, you know, with everything, with all the good intent, money is always a constraint that we will never get away from that as, as part of the economics of it. But I think it's about how we think about how we solve the problem. So certainly there is still a green premium for, you know, it could be um, concrete, using concrete versus using a green mix of etc. There will always be a premium for those things. So for me, it's about how do we, how do you reduce things in line? So going back to that first principle of do we even need to build a new building? Could we actually look at what exists today, and and could we repurpose it? Because that's the best way to get rid of a green premium. Don't build something new. Use use stock that exists etc. You know when we look at 
circular materials, right? Rather than um, going to buy everything new, could we actually have so much stuff being pulled out of buildings all the time from furniture to raw materials of construction as well? How do we how do we bring that in and actually make that a viable part of the um, supply chain system as well? So I think in the short term, there is a, a green premium around some of these things, but with effective collaboration around design, around reduction in space and taking other principles into it, I think you can get to a net position where where it shouldn't be a um, it shouldn't be a premium. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there are some very interesting ideas emerging from some of the more progressive architects and engineers. Yeah. How if you if you plan it in from the start, um, you can actually um, save money on things that that will mean you can invest more in the fabric because you're spending less on 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 this over here and i think it's short term versus long term as well you know spending spending more now and avoiding climate breakdown you know what's the what's a fair premium to pay for the future of all of us as well and i think there's an element of we we need to expect to if it's the right thing um and it does cost slightly more then that's part of our expectation as well you know because we everything we do is protecting protecting our futures, but also for companies to protect their assets as well. Why build something for 10% cheaper now, but in five years is a stranded asset that's not fit for purpose, you know, because then it will only it will only cost them in the future, not just from a climate perspective, but from a, a balance sheet perspective as well. So it's just, we can make good decisions that are balanced at the moment. It can be good for the planet. It can be good for business. It doesn't need to be one or the other. We can, we can do those things now. Yeah, absolutely. It's about responsible business, whether that's to investors and shareholders or, or to the planet and, and the communities in which we, we work. Yeah. Matt Roach from Rebellion, thank you very much for joining me today. Really enjoyed that and look forward to covering your story in the coming months and, and years. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our weekly news roundup for free at placetech.net slash subscribe. Thank you.